Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where sophomores have problems too. Book number 50, Out of Reach. Will Jade Wu have to defy her father to get what she wants? Hello, everyone. Well, welcome to the momentous book 50 of Sweet Valley Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I'm uh, joined today by Allison Shin. Thank you so much for joining me, Allison. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Is there any other introductory information you'd like to share with the listeners of uh, (laughs) this podcast about you and your life at all? Uh, Let's see. I am a Chinese-American actor living in Los Angeles. Um, and I love reading. So I'm glad that this was, this was a book that I probably would not have read otherwise. So. <laughs> yeah, a new one for your collection. <laughs> um, gladiators, that's what we call the read- the listeners of this podcast, Allison, Gladiators. Okay. Um, gladiators will definitely appreciate that while I have had many guest readers on the show who have been a little bit iffy about having to read the ebook. Allison was the first one who was really like, no, I'm going to buy this book myself. Like, I want it for my collection. That sounds like maybe this was your first Sweet Valley High novel. Is that the case? Yes. I had recognized the series, um, but being born in 1992, um, Mm -hmm. it just never really, it really never landed in my lap. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how long they went. Um, like, because the books were, there were so many of these books, and they kept being published well into the 90s, probably till like the end of the 90s. But even then, you would have been too young for them. And I actually did not read these books, these specific books when I was young, either. Um, I read books that were aimed at like a younger audience called Sweet Valley Twins, or Sweet Valley Kids, which are for even, the same characters, but like even younger. But I got into... <laughs> That was part of what got me into the series later. Gladiators are bored. They're tired of hearing the story from me. I've told it a lot of times. Well, welcome aboard. Um, so the covers of these books are often uh, pretty special. So we love to describe the covers for listeners uh, to get an idea of what they'd be looking at if they had the book in their hands. Yes. So we have – I actually don't know who – would it be Elizabeth? It is indeed Elizabeth Wakefield. And yes, they are twin sisters, so they do look exactly alike. The only way we can really know for sure that this is Elizabeth is because of the role. It's actually the way that she's looking at Jade, the other person, in this sort of like, um, I don't know, maternalistic kind of like, I'm going to help you with your problems, Jade Wu. Like, that's classic Elizabeth. Yeah, Uh, it looks like... Just if I were to go based off of the cover of this book, I would assume just by Elizabeth's facial expression and Jade's facial expression that, like, did Jade get hit? Like, did she get bullied <laughs> in in some way where the body language there is um, is one of deep comfort from Elizabeth, which is yeah. endearing. She's got her hand on Jade's shoulder, and she's looking right at Jade, but Jade is not looking back at her. Jade is, like, looking off into the distance with a sort of, like, I don't know, deep in thought. She doesn't look sad exactly, but she's thinking about something. What do you think she's thinking about? You know, I'm trying to think, like, oh, was this maybe a time where, 
you know, the, maybe the posters were ripped. But I think she would be a little bit more emotional. The ripped posters. Uh, <laughs> that's the climax of the book's gladiator. So you'll have to wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so Jade Wu, the guests on the last episode, Andy and Aaron, uh, were talking a little bit about Jade Wu and how uh, they were excited to find out what happened with her. But um, this is the really the first time in this book that we are learning anything about Jade Wu. She's a new character. Um, she's a sophomore. And actually, it's kind of st- a, an interesting one, this, uh, this Sweet Valley High novel, because while Elizabeth and Jessica and Lila and Kara, they're, they're all in the book. Amy Sutton, oh my god. Uh, we'll talk about Amy. She's, <laughs> she's like at her worst ever at this point. Um, but they are like in the story, but the story is not about them. The story is all about these sophomores that we'd never heard, but heard of before. Jade Wu. Uh, her friend, whose name starts with an M. Melanie. Melanie. And, of course, David Prentice. I mean, I'm loving the uh, kind of 80s little turtleneck that Elizabeth's yeah. wearing. With Probably another chain. good clue that it's her because of the, tur- the turtleneck is sort of a conservative thing. Jessica probably wouldn't be caught dead in a conservative turtleneck unless <laughs> right. she was impersonating her sister. But that is the gold lavalier necklace that both of the twins got as presents for their 16th birthday, often mentioned wow. in the descriptions. <laughs> um, after 50 books, you know, you get it down. They talk about it a lot. So they both have one of those. So that's not a distinguishing characteristic. You know, truth be told, I don't know about your cover because, I mean, mine is very well loved, um, but it almost looks as if Elizabeth's hair is gray. Does that look like mm-hmm. that on yours? It does, actually, yeah. Okay, because at first, I, when I I was more so wondering if this was, okay, maybe it's a high schooler's mom or... And then reading the book, it could be knowing. Alice Wakefield, who looks just like a, an older sister of her to, of her young daughters. Right, right. Um, well, we'll talk about parents and their graying hair for sure at a certain point in this uh, conversation. But I can think of two more things to say now that I now that I asked the question about the cover. Um, Jade is wearing a towel around her neck because Jade Wu is like the greatest dancer ever. She's California's greatest dancer. Her grace is unparalleled, and she dances a lot in this book. And my my copy of the book, I'm curious to hear about yours, Allison, has a gold seal on it that makes you glance at it and think, oh, did this win some sort of book award? <laughs> but no, it just says fifth anniversary. Mine does have that. Oh, I love that. So this is actually a really special episode of Sweet Valley Diaries, and that is because... Book 50 is as far as I have read in the series. Um, I have had this blog, sweetvalleydiaries.net, starting in 2006. I was started reading the books. I went at a clip. I would write about them. It was great. It was a wonderful thing back when, like, blogs were really a thing. And, you know, I got older and I got... I started going to grad school, like, slowly my reading and writing about the books was really dwindling, and I wasn't getting the same kind of, like, interaction with readers, and so, I I don't know, I wasn't as into it, and I, after I got to book 50, I had this idea to kind of transfer into this new space, this podcasting space that I uh, was really interested in going into, and I'm so happy that I did, Um, but 50 was as far as I got in my, like, reading and writing about mm. these Sweet Valley High novels. So after this, it's 
it's anybody's guess what happens. Um. So it's it's fifth it's so it's momentous all the way around. The podcast just had its third anniversary. The books this is the book that came out five years after the first Sweet Valley High novel was printed. So it's it, November nineteen eighty eight, and book fifty is the last book that I have read for, uh, so far. And is this the last episode of for the year? It is. It's coming. The episode is coming out right at the end of the year. And it's the last episode of a season. uh, What season is this? Season five uh, of the show. And then we'll have a little break. And um, it's the last. uh, Yeah, it's after this. I'm so excited. It's all new, all new stuff. Well, there's a couple of books that I've read um, that will come out in the interim. These uh, super thrillers. But I'll talk more about that later. This oh, will be the first real cliffhanger for you then. Yeah, this is, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a genuine cliffhanger when, when we get to the book's end. And I wish I cared a little bit more about what was <laughs> happening next. Uh, you'll understand, guys, when you hear what's coming up next. Um, it's not like last time where Aaron and Andy were like, Jade Wu, like, she seems like she's got something going on. Like, I want to know what's happening with her. Um this was not a storyline that was strung through the book and then makes you really excited to know what's coming next. But that's, no, I I went off on a tangent and now we're talking about the end of the book, but we need to talk about the beginning of the book. So what, what was your initial impression of Jade Wu, dare I ask, Allison? <laughs> um, well, I think it was, you know, this was written however many years ago. Four years before I was born. Um, but, you know, it's funny because on page eight here, they describe Jade as the epitome of oriental beauty. Oof, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's even just throughout the book, um, I thought it was really interesting of how how many times they described her as shy, um, as delicate. Delicate um, a lot, yeah. Yes, and... I don't know if you picked up on this, but almost every time they described her hair, they always used the word silk or silky. You know uh, when I really noticed it, Allison, was when they were describing her mother. So it wasn't just Jade, mm-hmm. but it was also Jade's mom that had silken hair. Yes. It's like and there's a scene where she's like brushing it. And then that's when she's brushing it. Um, so I think my, my first impression, I don't think I have read... This is, it's an interesting book because it's from a specific decade, but it's also, it's not super old, but it's also not contemporary. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, I'm absolutely. Saying. No, I think, I actually think that that is the reason why reading these books is so interesting to me. And it's something that I have actually really kind of tried to make the podcast about that, mm. Because this is like living memory, like it's not that long ago, but the way that this book, even like you can tell that this book is really attempting sensitivity. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe even more so than I was expecting when I first mm-hmm. picked it up. Uh, but there's stuff, there's little, th- I mean, even just the word oriental is like, ugh, it just like rubs <laughs> the wrong way. Um, I don't know. No, I, I agree. And I think even in the very within the first chapter, I mean, having to kind of 
just accept the the words that they're using and having that understanding of when this was written. And because I think Oriental wasn't technically labeled as non-PC, I think until 2016. So even then, mm. we still had a long ways away. Yeah, that's from- really recent. Right. So, and I, and I have read articles written from Asian Americans saying like, okay, Oriental is really not that big of a deal um, versus other Asians, Asian Americans saying, yeah, why are we still using the word Oriental? Um, but I think within the first chapter, I was more so trying to understand uh, what Jade wanted and what Dr. Wu wanted. And I feel like it was very written simply in that Jade wants to assimilate. She wants to be an American in all aspects of her life. And Dr. Wu wants to maintain his Chinese heritage and um, not have Western influence on on her daughter. I think what I struggled with was not fully understanding the reason why Dr. Wu was so passionate. I agree. I, I I was thinking about that toward the end of the book. Like, I wish I got what I understood what, why he, he was putting his foot down about this. So this is so, this is great. Let me jump in a little bit and give some context to the <laughs> listeners um, who probably haven't read this book. Uh, but if you have, I don't know that this was anybody's like favorite uh, Sweet Valley High novel. Maybe if you related to the characters, perhaps, but Jade Wu is a great dancer. There is going to be this big talent show at Sweet Valley High, but it's not really a talent show. It's like a dance show. It's a kind of a weird show that is very like specific and also very vague, where somebody named Ms. Belisario, who is apparently the music teacher, I don't know, I was really hoping Mr. Jaworski would be leading the show, but Mr. Jaworski actually does make an appearance in this, and we'll talk about him soon. But she's put, they're putting on this show that's going to feature a big dance solo, in addition to some other dance numbers. That's act two of a show where act one is like a bunch of like music bands. Um, the Droids, Sweet Valley High's own rock band, which is now like the full name of the Droids every time the Droids show up in one of these books. That's how they're they're uh, introduced, are going to perform. And we're introduced to this concept through um, Amy Sutton, who uh, is really um, dead set on being the solo dancer in the show. Uh and sh- people think that Jade Wu is going to audition and she that she's going to get it. And Amy thinks that's unfair um, for a number of reasons. One of them is that Jade is a sophomore. And another one is, um, I will read this, uh, much though it pains me. Amy looked scornful. But you told me Jade's only a sophomore, she said disparagingly. Jessica laughed. So what? If she's the best for the part, Ms. Belisario will give it to her for sure. Amy stuck out her lower lip in a pout. But she's Chinese. She doesn't look right for the part. The soloist for the finale should be blonde, all American, like me. Jade's American, Lila observed wryly. Just because her father was born in China doesn't mean she isn't American. I think you'd better plan to audition for the chorus line. She giggled. Or maybe you and Jessica could try singing something together, like row, row, row your boat. So good for Lila and Jessica for jumping in uh, against Amy. But, like, Amy Sutton has been just, like, trying to out 
like bitch herself since she was first introduced in this series about 10 books ago. And this is a new low for her. I mean, do you want to talk at all, Allison, about what it is that's holding Jade back from auditioning for the show? Yeah, so Jade isn't sure she can get permission from her parents. And she doesn't feel that she has that much support coming from her mom because, according to the book, her mother is a lot more traditional conservative in that she will support her husband over her child. Um, And Dr. Wu is deeply opposed to Jade participating in this... um, Whatever it is. It's, <laughs> it's like, is it a dance benefit? Like, is it a... They're raising money for something. I'm not sure what. And <laughs> so, yes. But it's just a strange kind of a show where it's not a play. And it's... No. But it's not a talent show. They're having rehearsals every night for like two hours a night. Expensive rehearsals. For weeks. And they're having handmade posters Oh my throughout God. the entire town. Yes. And and this thing that, that Allison just mentioned about Dr. Wu is the thing where, like, they got us into this, this topic of, like, well, what exactly is his problem with her being in the show? Because, you know, you could wrap your mind around, and, and the book has this, uh, about, what, like, why he objects to kind of, like, Western values. Um, the book has a sort of, a, what I thought was a like kind of touching in a sad way scene where, you know, he's come home from work and someone has made a, uh, like a slight against him, like a racial slur. And he is really upset about it. And he, you know, Jade is thinking like, oh, this is a bad time to talk about him because I mean, it seems like he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he feels like some, like he isn't accepted by these Western people. Like why should he accept them? And he was born in China is the detail that the book makes, makes a big deal out of too, for what it's worth. Uh, But as opposed to Jade's mother, who is uh, like first generation American and Jade, who is feels like very American. I think it's interesting that the book invokes this term. Amy uses this term "all American" because it's something that, in the history of these books, has been kind of deployed as a phrase to describe how Jessica and Elizabeth look. And from the you know the first time you read the first book in you know the twenty first century, that seems like a problematic phrase right off the bat. Yeah, I don't know what Mr. Wu's problem is exactly, because she's having dance lessons. She's been taking them for years. Her grandparents pay for them. She takes private dance lessons. Like, she's just, like, not allowed to dance in public because it's, like, shameful. It doesn't quite – I just – I don't quite understand. Right, and I think that the book tried to justify his feelings um, by saying – by Jade explaining to, I think it's her best friend, Melanie, saying like, oh, well, my, you know, my dad, he only likes things if it's classical. So he would like piano. And I think that the dad wouldn't have a problem if she were dancing ballet, but she's dancing in public in front of an audience. And it's also modern dance. So two things that apparently he doesn't accept. 
Yeah, she's talking to Melanie. I have it here. Uh, she says, I'm sick to death of hearing him go on about it. You'd think he still lived in China. Well, he doesn't. He's an American now. So is my mother and so am I. My father insists on living in the past. Every second word that comes out of his mouth is about China. In China, girls wear their hair like this. In China, people take their vacations at such and such. If we lived in China, we wouldn't do this or that. I can't stand it. And then her friend Melanie chimes in and is like, but you must be proud of them, Jade. Not everyone has parents as fascinating as yours. And she says, believe me, I'd give anything in the world if I could swap with you, Mel. My parents are wonderful, but it's impossible to live with them and still lead a normal life. So that's kind of the assimilation piece that you're talking about. You know, Jade doesn't want to seem interesting to anybody. And I think that that's a defensible stance. Frankly, it's like we would talk about like othering now. Like, there's a lot of othering of Jade that happens in this book. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I, I think one of the gripes that I had about this was that it, you are trying to um, bring an understanding, a different point of view into this book, book series. And you have people for the most part, everyone aside from Amy, saying that there's nothing wrong, saying that, you know, you should embrace where you come from, this, this, and that. So it's a little, at least for me, it's a little bit of um, mindfuck. Can I say mindfuck? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's a little bit of a mindfuck because in a way, um, you want to resonate with Jade. And I think for me, that is easier to come by being second, third generation Chinese American. But in the words that they're using, you are only further separating. You are othering. So to describe Jade as, oh, but your parents are fascinating. But what makes them fascinating is that they're Chinese. Oh, I can't live a normal life assuming that being Asian, being Chinese, it's kind of, to me, it's just like, well, I, what, what do you want? And I, yeah. I think on some level, I, I grew up with that, not fully understanding um, kind of which world I'm supposed to live in when I don't actually really relate to one of the worlds. Yeah. But because of my features, um, because of my name, albeit Allison is not a very traditional Chinese name, not knowing how to draw attention to this is a part of my identity, but we don't have to ask me about, you know, oh, what is Chinese New Year like? Yeah. Oh, and what you're getting to is there's a scene in this book that I don't know if it hit me as a modern reader the way that the author intended or not. Because, I mean, it's fun to imagine that maybe the writer of the book wanted us to see the complexity of the situation, that while it's true that Jade should not be ashamed of her heritage, she also is right not to want to be treated as different or to have people make assumptions about her. Um, there's this part, so I mentioned Mr. Jaworski earlier, who uh, he he uh, directed the school play that Jessica was in a, a few books ago. Um, but there's a scene where I guess apparently he's some kind of like history teacher, like world history or something. And there's a scene where it describes Jade being in this class. 
and really dreading uh, the particular unit that they're in right now where they're talking about the Cultural Revolution in China. She's just really hoping that that unit will be done soon. And what happens is um, that uh, Mr. Jaworski uh, decides to, he's doing a slideshow. Anyway, I'll just read it. Um, Let's see. Uh, Mr. Jaworski gave a short lecture about Buddhism. Then he showed some slides of Chinese temples and art. He ended with a short discussion about Chinese meals and other social customs. But even here in America, we've incorporated a number of Chinese customs, and there are a number of Chinese people living in our country who maintain old customs while taking up the new. He turned on the lights and shut off the slide projector. Jade, what about your family? Do you still practice Chinese customs, or have you given them all up? Jade's cheeks flamed. She had dreaded this moment all week. All her classmates were turning around to stare at her, their expressions curious. They were looking at her as though she were a foreigner. That was the last thing she wanted. There's nothing unique or Chinese about my family, Jade lied, her cheeks still hot. My dad doesn't run a laundry or anything. Everyone in the class laughed. Mr. Jaworski cleared his throat, looking upset and embarrassed. Well, he said, uh, let's talk a little bit about one of China's close neighbors, Mongolia. So, I don't know what we're supposed to feel from that, but I feel like Mr. Jaworski should feel embarrassed. Like, I don't know. What is- that entire scene, I knew it was coming. <laughs> and I, it just, I cringed the whole way. And I'm not 100% sure on how I would react or what my response would be. Um, but I, it's it just, it's a hard... Um, it makes me question, what answer were you expecting from me? Yeah. Um, sure, I can I can talk to you about some of the customs um, that my family happens to practice. And I think also for me, I, I don't really practice a lot of Chinese customs or traditions. Um, I am very Americanized. And I think in part because both of my parents were very Americanized. And yeah. You're like so, another generation out even from where Jade would have been. Right. So I, I think... Or maybe more. For me, I, I read it and it's like my whole family has visited China. I haven't. Um, but how it incorporates to my everyday life, um, it, it doesn't. And I, I probably would make a snide comment just knowing my personality. Um, yeah. I'm like, you know, oh, I have rice probably more often than you do. But <laughs> other than yeah. that... I don't know what Mr. Jaworski should have done, but I think it's like not singling out the one um, Chinese student in your class probably would have been a good place to start. Um, There is, though, a a clue in that to something that is a a pretty major piece of what's going on with Jade here, which is that she, she mentions that her father doesn't run a laundry or anything. Like she's concerned about that being a stereotype um, that she doesn't want to be a part of her story, but it is a part of her story because her grandparents, the very grandparents who pay for her dance lessons, who she loves very much, her mother's parents, um, who are, they are the ones who were, are immigrants from China. They do run a laundry in the next town over. It's got, it's called Sung's Laundry. So they've got a different last name um, from her and like people don't know about it somehow. And she has, it is a really closely guarded secret for Jade. And I think that the, laundry for me 
it was telling of when this was written because I feel like more often than not, I feel like people would make assumptions of owning a restaurant rather than a laundry. But I think it's also... Okay. I I should preface for people who are reading, I mean, not read, or yeah, or reading the book or (laughs) listening in, um, that I I can really only speak to my experiences and I do feel... um, like even within my own family, I, my older sister is seven years older. And I know mm. that my experiences as a Chinese American has have been very different than her experiences. Um, mm. And even my best friends are Chinese American. And I think I was really the only one who struggled to embrace their heritage and embrace Hmm. Chinese customs. Everyone else or everyone that um, I am close with, it it was something that I don't think that they really thought about. But I remember being very young and not that it was a product of bullying um, or singling me out in the way that Jade was in class, but just slowly realizing that the community that I was raised in, um, it felt very that this was designed and made for white people and I I Mm. felt that um Mm. so I I kind of can resonate with Jade of wanting to be white because you thought that that was American Mm. um but it's also hard for me to relate to because I don't have very Chinesey parents Mm-hmm. Well, I promised that I did not know any of that when I asked you to read this book. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too traumatic. Although I do know, not that it really makes a difference because this is where we live, but I did know that you did grow up in California, right? Yes. So that is something similar too. And, and it has long seemed, look, I don't know exactly what the demographics were in the 80s, but it has long seemed strange to me that these books don't have more like Asian American students, period, like Chinese or, you know, elsewhere, Asian characters. Because in my experience of Southern California, um, is that it's it's very diverse, and specifically in that direction. But uh, they do, the book also talks a lot about San Francisco, and, and the Wu's used to live in San Francisco. And it's, the book describes that as being a place that seemed like it had a much bigger Chinese American community. I don't know if that was true in the 80s and isn't or more true than it is now, but I mean, um. I I can speak for my family. My parents um they are from the Bay Area and I mm. was born in San Francisco. Um okay. but I Gosh. Okay. <laughs> and my I name is I, I didn't know. <laughs> You're an amazing dancer. I'm an amazing dancer in LA. Um, no, but we quickly moved to central Central California um, when I was still young. But all of my extended family, for the most part, is still up in the Bay Area. Um, and so I, I am very familiar with different neighborhoods and pockets. Um, but I, I think that they lived in Chinatown in San Francisco mm-hmm. um, prior and... So I mean I I can picture Ch- Chinatown in San Francisco. I, mm-hmm. I think what was also a little confusing. Granted, these books are are for a specific age range, and um, they can't be too long. But I felt like this pent up 
anger from Dr. Wu. Um, yeah, absolutely. I didn't know exactly where it came from because he was in, at Caltech when he was at, I think, 23 um, before he went to the Bay Area. So it's like, where did this, um, it's almost like he just fully rejects assimilating. So it's like, where did that come from? And what made you want to stay rather than return back to China? And for Jade, I would like to know, even though for me, for my personal experience, I did not feel that I was bullied, but she also feels such shame with being who she is. Um, And I didn't, and it seemed like everyone except for Amy was quite supportive of her. So it was of who, she, of like, who she was. Yeah. When they learn about her background, yeah. they are like the worst infraction is them being maybe a little bit overly interested in her, in her background because it's different from other people that they know. Right. Like I did kind of question, um, what's his name? David. David. I did kind well, of question Let's, a let's talk bit. about David. So as you might imagine, uh, listeners, Jade does audition. She basically, she auditions for the show, even though she, she tells her mother that she wants to, and they basically agree that they won't tell her dad. And the book has this hanging, like looming threat throughout most of it that maybe her dad at the last minute will decide that she can't be in the show and she'll have to pull out. Uh, and you're kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Like, is she going to have her, her dance teacher, um, Eve and her mother are like supportive of her, but it's just the mother is like trying to chip, chip away at Dr. Wu's reticence, his reluctance to, um, to let her be in the show. And she auditions and she, um, it's a really funny scene where Amy Sutton makes a total ass of herself. Uh, but Jade gets the big solo and, um, in the whole audition process, she meets this guy, um, named David Prentice, who she meets taking the bus. She's taking the bus from school to her dance practice. And David takes the bus a lot because he lives in, he he comes from a poor family, which is something also that is relatively unusual uh, in Sweet Valley. We hear a lot about all the rich kids. He, his father walked out on them when he was younger and they're like, seven kids or something and he he has a job that he goes and does after school so he takes the bus to his job um and they hit it off really really quickly and he is actually even before the auditions he's encouraging her to audition because he's like he's got this weird amorphous job for the show where he's like the the art director and like publicity like pr man but his main thing is that he is a good artist and he's going to design the poster um, so what did you think of this poster, Allison? I liked, I liked the poster. I think if I were Jade, I would feel uncomfortable having my face. Well, it wasn't even her and face. whole body, her. probably, yeah. Like, yes, your whole body being on this ginormous poster. And then also the background. Yeah, so after, after... After Jade gets the solo dance, which is going to be something of her own design, weirdly enough. So it's like they audition to see who, what dance piece would be the solo dance piece. And and she's doing this kind of hybrid, like modern dance to some kind of cover by a jazz band of like a traditional Chinese song. It's all sort it's it's a real, it's a real hodgepodge. But David is like, well, I want to put you as the centerpiece of the poster. So will you come with me? And I'm going to take a whole roll of film of pictures of you for reference. And then I'm going to sketch you so that I have a sketch to work off of, which I don't 
I, I don't know why he needed both of those things. It seems a little <laughs> suspect to me. If this uh, were a Netflix show, he would be, we would keep our eye on him. <laughs> well, so, but I agree. The weirdest thing about this whole plan is that it's not just going to be the poster. It's going to, he's going to enlarge it, which he's going to have to do manually. He's going to enlarge his drawing and put it on a big backdrop that's going to be hanging on the stage above the show. And if you picture that in your mind's eye, like picture Jade Wu, she's doing her dance on the stage and above her as the decoration on the stage is a picture of her dancing. <laughs> like, why is that a good idea? Actually, the, you know what it reminded me of when I was reading it? I don't mm. know if you ever saw any of the high school musical movies. Troy Bolton, this is a little tangent, but Troy Bolton is Zac Efron's character. He's beautiful. He's the lead mm-hmm. basketball player. Sure. But even in the first movie, he's not even a senior, and he has this huge mural of him, like, <laughs> pretending to shoot a basket. <laughs> every time I watch the movie, I'm like, I would hate that. It's in my, It's in the cafeteria. Like oh, no. this huge poster of him. It has to be like 10 times his size. And so that's when when I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh. That is exactly <laughs> what Jade is going through. She has this ginormous poster of her. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things about the, just even the regular size posters being all around town is that it means that she's really not going to be able to keep the fact that she's in the show a secret from her father. Like, it's basically just his, you know, his foot to put down about whether or not he's going to allow it or not. And the poster ends up being an important piece of the whole puzzle uh, because, I mean, I, I don't think it's too much to just jump ahead to this now. Once, um, at some point in the middle of the book, we're with Amy Sutton. She's leaving on a, the Saturday before the show and she's going to do errands with her mom. And her mom is going to pick up her dry cleaning at the laundry she's been using, which is the song's laundry. And Amy, at this point in the book, has gotten this idea in her head that Jade is like a prima donna, but it's really just because she's super jealous that she didn't get the solo and a sophomore does, and let alone Jade Wu, like who does she think she is? So she mentions to her mother she sees a poster and it's like i'm this is the dance show that i'm in and the woman the grandmother is working and it's like oh my granddaughter is is that's her in the picture and amy is like oh my gosh like wait till everybody finds out that high and mighty jade Wu has grandparents who run a dry cleaners like okay <laughs> it's it's you don't really follow her logic and nor should you, because nobody cares, as Allison has mentioned several times. It's just behavior of, I mean, she just was delusional in her in her own specific way. Yeah, yeah. Well, weirdly, actually, there is somebody else who cares, and it's Jade. So Jade has been repeatedly asked on a date by David, who she really likes. But she is sure that um, she's, like, not allowed to date. or She doesn't know if she's allowed to date. She doesn't want to go into it. And she doesn't want anybody to know that she even has to think about asking her parents permission. Like, I don't know. She's really all up in her head about all of this stuff. And so she tells David that she can't go out to the Dairy Burger with him. And he's like, oh, he's got his own chip on his shoulder, right? He's like, oh, I bet you just don't like me because I'm poor. 
And she's like, no, no, no. I'll tell you my deepest secret. It's that my parent, my grandparents run a laundry. And he's like, I don't follow. And she's like, no, don't you see? It's embarrassing. And he's like, really kind of mad about it. He's like, if, why, why is that? A, why is that something you're ashamed of? That seems. What I find really funny about that is that instead of just telling him. I don't know if my dad will let me go on a date with you. She's <laughs> jumps to a 10 and is like, yeah. no, let me tell you my deepest, darkest, most That's shameful such a secret. good point. That is such a good point, Allison, because if she had just told him why specifically she didn't want to go out with him, she it would have been a lesser thing than right. in her own mind than the laundry thing, and it would have addressed the issue. I actually have this scene marked here, so I might as well read it. I just paraphrased the whole thing, but you guys can hear <laughs> how it really goes. You know, he's all butthurt about getting rejected, or how he feels he's been rejected. And she says, just to show you that there's no way I'm that sort of person, I'll tell you the biggest secret I've got, okay? And once you know what it is, you'll realize how crazy you're being. David looked at her. Guess what my grandparents do, Jade challenged him. Go on, guess. I bet you'll never figure it out in a million years. David shrugged. I don't know. How would I know what they do? And what difference does it make anyway? Jade took a deep breath. Okay, I'm going to tell you, but you have to swear on everything you can swear on that you won't tell a soul. David shrugged his shoulders. All right, I promise not to tell anyone. He was looking at Jade as if he didn't understand what she was making such a big deal out of. They run a laundry in Sweet Valley. Jade lowered her eyes and waited for his reaction, afraid of what it would be. David stared at her. So? Uh, So it could go on from there, but he's just kind of like, I don't. Like, why are you ashamed of them? And he goes straight, he goes straight to his own damage, right? Of like, you think that sounds like they work really hard. You think like hardworking laborers like are not worthy of respect. Like my mom cleans houses. Like I'm not ashamed of her. He, that's well, what he I, does. And I think out of anyone who she's met, he, David is safe. I mean, David told her the the very first time that they met kind of his whole background of like, oh, you know, dad peaced out. There's a Mm -hmm. ton of us. I help out from time to time. Everyone chips in. He is not someone who I I would be afraid, uh, stereotypically, I would be afraid to tell the popular, you know, jock this who lives in a mansion or or something like that. Yeah. You're um, Bruce Patman's. He doesn't appear in this book, Allison, so you have no frame of reference for that. But Bruce Patman would maybe think it was funny that uh, her grandparents ran a laundry. Maybe. Or he will probably just guess. It's interesting that she says you'll never guess in a million years when her whole problem is that she thinks that it's like everybody is going to guess because it's the stereotype. Right. Um, But yeah, uh, when Amy comes back to school with this information about Sung's laundry... Uh, Jade hears about it and immediately assumes that David must be the one who told everybody because she 
is the only person he's the only person that she told and she gets really mad at him and accuses of him of this and this is actually kind of a familiar plot point in in sweet valley where where one character gets mad at another character for breaking their confidence when the, that's not really how you'd think people would realize that that's not how gossip works at this point in time <laughs> but david is so incensed that both that jade would accuse him of that, and also that Jade is so worked up about this issue, which he doesn't understand at all, that he quits the play and he storms out. Like, he he even, like, on his way out, he tears down the uh, the big backdrop that he painted. Yes. He makes kind of a big fit of... with his anger. Which, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the most expressive that he, he gets. Yeah. Um, in this, in this yeah, and so now, like nobody wants to be like Jade is. She falls that day in rehearsal. Like she's she's looking terrible, which uh, catches the attention, all importantly, of Elizabeth Wakefield, who we didn't <laughs> tell you, Gladiators is the producer of this show. She got roped into it, so that's important because Elizabeth is going to make sure that everything works out. Um, how will she do it? She was very kind. She, yeah. yeah, wanted to look out for Jade, give her a phone call um, to just see what she was kind of stressed about. But yeah. also, I mean, I feel like that's that's pretty understandable, knowing that that Jade is super talented, is kind of the star of the show. Uh, yeah, if, if someone gets hurt or seems a little off, you're going to want to make sure that they're good. She So she talks to Jade and she talks to David and kind of gets both sides of the story. And at, while all this is happening, you know, Ms., uh, Dr. Wu finally talks to Jade and says, you know what, I will let you dance in this show. And it's this, it's like an interesting moment of kind of turning about, like, not, it wasn't what we expected. Like, Jade is allowed to do the show. There's nothing holding her back. But it's like, it's, uh, the book says, So she would be dancing on Friday night after all, but her heart wasn't in it anymore, and she couldn't imagine she would be anywhere near her best. Oh, and the dance, the whole dancing thing has a new level of importance because there's this big internship opportunity that uh, she'll, she could win a scholarship to get an internship. Some, some guy's going to be there scouting like you do. <laughs> so you got like, hi, you know, you have, have a lot of talent there. You can probably imagine how it works. Eventually, Jade comes back to school. She tries to, she waits for the next day to bother to try to apologize to David, but um, she does apologize and... Or she, or she like, can't get, talk to him. But finally, like, Elizabeth talks to him. She, like, insists that he talk to her. Um, let me see if I marked this, because it's kind of interesting. Um, so here's David's perspective on things. Elizabeth says to David, She's been trying to find you since yesterday morning to apologize for what she said to you when you argued on Sunday. Why won't you give her a chance? Listen, Liz, David said, looking solemn. Ever since my dad moved out, I've been dealing with people being snobs about my mother's job. People making fun of me, people acting like we're not good enough for them because we don't have tons of money or status or something. And the only way I found to make my peace with it was to accept once and for all who I am, who my family is, and what we do doesn't matter. It's who we are. And I realized more than anything else how much I love my mom and my whole family. Elizabeth swallowed. It must make it tough for you to sympathize with people like Jade, then, she said. 
people who are still figuring stuff like that out, who don't have all the answers yet. David looked at her uneasily. You're making it sound like I haven't really given her a chance. That isn't fair. I really liked Jade a lot. I can't tell you how surprised I was by the way she was talking about her grandparents. It made me realize that she's completely different from the person I thought she was. Maybe you're jumping to conclusions the same way Jade did, Elizabeth said gently. Couldn't you try to help her? Couldn't you show her that she has a lot to be proud of in her family? You know, it's not clear um, that David's convinced by what Elizabeth says. But... And yeah, uh, I don't think that we're really... I don't think that it's really told until the reveal at the talent show. Yeah. And Jade goes ahead and and dances. And then um, before she goes out, she looks out of the audience and her father has said that he's not going to come to the show, but he's also been asking a lot of questions about what the show is going to be like. And she's like, you can just come. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to come, but I want to be able to picture it. And then when she's about to go out on stage, she looks out in the audience and the first row is her, her grandparents, her dance teacher, her mother and her dad is right there. And it's, it's honestly, I, I, I was like, as as ridiculous as this book was, <laughs> that moment <laughs> did it for me. <laughs> it's like, oh, Dr. Wu. I find it interesting that no one brought up the fact that she did you that she did kind of um, show her heritage by having a contemporary Chinese song. Yeah, like, couldn't somebody have told Dr. Wu that? Like, that probably would have really helped helped yeah. uh, convince him but the the book's not over yet and we didn't even tell you yet that one of the things that makes jade realize that everything's going to be okay between her and david is that he has clearly painstakingly recreated the thing that he ripped because it's backups uh, the big poster that's like a, a picture <laughs> of her is up above the stage again but it's different now now she's got a triumphant smile on her face and it's just like the whole symbolic poster representing jade's inner transformation and he's he's created it and uh, it's very symbolic but like the most literal version of symbolism that there can be <laughs> um but the story's not over yet because there's this whole big epilogue where um, David asks uh, Dr. Wu's permission to take Jade out on a date. And Dr. Wu is very impressed. He's so accepting. You know, it's actually funny when I thought about that. I don't know if it was ever. Um, I think it was kind of a running joke of like, oh, you know, my dad will find a nice Asian man for me. But I don't think that was ever really taken seriously. <laughs> but Dr. Wu, it was just, it was very easy. It was just yeah. for someone who kind of has this um, prejudice. Um, I was kind of surprised. I was like, dang. Yeah, I think, I mean, he even says something like, I didn't know that um, these American boys would you know, do something like that. Like, this is a good one. This is a keeper. But, uh, yeah, no, it is. It seems like maybe this is one of those things that Jade was blowing out of proportion, kind of like she was blowing out the, her idea, her fear about the reaction to the secret about her grandparents was Mm. outsized. And like her fear about what her dad would say if she tried to date a white boy was outsized. Um, and all of this great stuff in Jade's life gives her the confidence 
to uh, make a to do a big next thing in the the like denouement here. Do you remember the last piece of this story? Yes, the part where the talent scout is like, we would love to award you this once in a lifetime opportunity, um, but you have to change your name. Yeah, he's like more. the lady whose money it is. Is she's this? Um, what's the turn of phrase? I'll find it here because it is um, kind of interesting. Her name. The, so the woman that whose money it is is named Amelia Higginson, and Mister Wicker is the guy who is like scouting the dancers. Um, he says, "I was just going to mention something about your name. You see, I think it would be better for all concerned if we presented your name to Miss Higginson as Jade Warren instead of Jade Wu." He coughed. Much better for the stage that way, for your future, don't you think? I'm sure that you won't object to a tiny little thing like that. Jade stared at him, her anger mounting. Why wouldn't Miss Higginson like the name Wu? She asked in a clear voice. Mr. Wicker shifted his weight. No, let's not make a fuss, he said, lowering his voice. You know how these eccentric old ladies can be. It's just a little quirk of hers, dear. And she says, but there must be a reason. You know, like she challenges him. Um, he's trying to kind of like uh, wipe it away. I mean, this is this thing I feel like it's come up a lot this year about like, what are white people doing to like allow other white people to continue like trends of entrenched systemic racism? <laughs> and that's what uh, that's what our friend Mr. Wicker is doing here. He's like, oh, she's just an old lady. She's just kind of weird. You know how weird it is to be racist. <laughs> Right. Just a little quirk, you know, just a little, yeah. a little racist. An, ex- an eccentricity. Right. Uh, she only likes uh, Anglo-sounding last names. That's just her little quirk. She's so weird. She's so goofy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jade's like, fuck you, in front of the, her whole family and um, David and everybody. So people really know that she uh, is proud of who she is. And I like that they brought that up. I didn't think that they would bring up her name um, as like another addition to um, just part of the othering. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because as an actor, I have thought, you know, years ago, thought about a stage name. And mm-hmm. a, I would say maybe four years ago, I contemplated like, do I need to have a different last name? Chin kind of just sounds right off the bat, you know, that I'm different. Um, But I think, and and nothing really came of it. It was just something that I had thought of. Sure. Um, And the film industry was in a different place. Um, And even now it's completely switched of like, I have such an Americanized name. Um, but it's just, Mm. it it does, I think it is very telling of where the film industry is at, um, as well. So I think, I think for me, it's more so of what can I live with? I can live as Allison Chin and feel confident, um, with both having an Americanized first name and a Chinese sounding last name and not really thinking twice about it. Yeah, it's that thing of of knowing who you are and like being proud of who you are, which is the theme of this book, which is nice. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be different if I had um, a Chinese name that was difficult to pronounce. 
Mm, Um, I think that might change things up. I have heard um, even friends in college who were international students, like, oh, call me Susan or, you know, Uh things like that. Oh, sure. I had friends in college. Oh, the same, same situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Strangely enough, my own very unusual last name, Flaxbart, is spelled the way that it is because the German spelling was too hard to pronounce. People were saying it wrong, so they wanted to make it like clear as possible. And so they created this phonetic spelling of the last name that trips people up so badly because they've never seen it before or so when you're when you're trying to explain on the phone like this is how I spell my name everybody wants to put in different vowels or different you know nobody wants it to be what it is right right so um yeah so anyway I but I feel proud of my weird last name too so (laughs) it's kind of fun as you Um, should (laughs) thank you uh well in as long as we're talking about knowing who you are and uh, identities um, this seems like I want to talk about the B story, which would be a perfect time in the podcast to uh, to start talking about boys. Even though I just did that wonderful transition, um, <laughs> we'll, it makes the most sense probably to start by talking about. Uh, the number one boy in this book, who's David Prentice. He's a new character. So here's here's a description of David Prentice so you can get a sense of how sexy he is. She noticed a boy from her history class, David Prentice, standing a few feet away from her. Jade had noticed him several times before. He was a really nice-looking guy. Tall, almost a foot taller than she, with sandy hair, green eyes, and freckles. He had a shy but good-natured manner that made her look at him twice. I'd really like to get to know him, she thought. It was a new feeling for Jade, who had always been so busy with her dancing and studies that she hadn't even had time to look at boys. So that's David. He's um he's a, a good-looking fellow. But there's another uh, moment of sexualization of a male character that is a little bit more... Uh, extreme than that in this book and it's something that i know uh the listeners love it when it happens and the readers often do too i'm curious your reaction to this it uh, takes us to the b story mr wakefield walked through the house to the hall closet where he hung up his coat then he regarded himself in the hallway mirror look at all this gray he said to himself examining his temples why didn't you two tell me i was getting old he asked as he came back into the kitchen look how gray i am Daddy, Jessica said, you look fantastic and you know it. You're the youngest looking father I know. Thanks, Mr. Wakefield said grimly. Actually, what Jessica said was true. Mr. Wakefield's sideburns did have a hint of gray in them, but Jessica thought they only made him look more elegant and handsome than ever. He was in excellent shape, and with his dark hair and eyes, he looked years younger than he was. So... (laughs) Love it when uh, we get to see the Wakefield children, like, objectifying their, their own parents. Does that happen often in, these, in the series? Well, all I can say about that is that this is not the first time it's happened. <laughs> if it's not their parents, it's, like, their brother. You know, like, um, Jessica admired her handsome brother as he walked in the door. He really was good looking. You no. know? <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Um, but this, the whole B story of this book uh, was really, really ridiculous. Ned Wakefield has his 25th class reunion coming up and he's like, he's not going to go because he thinks people are going to laugh at him for looking so old. 
Uh, so they think he's having a midlife crisis. And so Jessica and Elizabeth plan the series of things to make Ned realize how ridiculous it seems for him to try to act young. Yes, they go to the... Is it beach? The beach disco. Yes. (laughs) Which we learn is kind of a shack on on the beach. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I was trying to think if there were anything equivalent when I was in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think their their drink sounded really interesting. It's like you couldn't get a drink. You could get like a raspberry fizzy or something. A grape lime raspberry fizz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have that open because um, they're like dancing. They, they take him to hear a band and he's dancing. He thinks it's too hot in there. And he's like, I'm going to go home. Dad, Jessica cried, trying to look hurt. I thought you were sick of being middle-aged. Besides, if you don't stay, you won't hear the Razor's new hit. Cut me, babe. Why don't you cut me? (laughs) So Mr. Wakefield is like, I don't want to hear cut me, babe. Why don't you cut me? Um, He has some kind of awful purple tie he keeps wearing. Oh, the outfit that he wears to the beach disco is really special. I just remember corduroy pants. Yeah, it's like corduroy pants and like a white striped jacket with the sleeves rolled up and his purple tie with hand-painted swirls on it. Really great. So they successfully convince him that um, he's being ridiculous somehow. It's kind of a bad plan, but it works. So he goes to his 25th reunion, but we don't see that because that's not what this book is about. Unfortunately, sometimes I do wish the books were just about the parents and not about the kids, but... um, Ned Wakefield, I realized reading this book, not that much older than I am. Which is slightly unnerving. (laughs) Allison. Yes. I think this is a perfect time for me to ask you a question that I ask of all of my guest readers, which is going to be kind of hard to answer given uh, what this book was about. But do you think you are more of a Jessica or more of an Elizabeth? Oh, I'm more of an Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I tend to... I tend to be more of a fly in the wall uh, socially, um, but I am also quite type A. So I I think I would enjoy the role that she had of, I mean, it's kind of funny saying that as I am a performer, um, but I think like running auditions, making sure that everyone is on the same page, it's tidy, how is everything, being the liaison between Miss Belsario and everyone who's a part of the show. That is a hat that um, I would gladly take on. So yeah, yeah. more of an Elizabeth. That makes sounds like an Elizabeth to me. <laughs> um, well, we'll have to talk more about um, about books and about if we have any more thoughts about Out of Reach, like maybe why it was named that um, in Extra Drama next week. But for now, I just want to say thank you so much, Allison, for uh, for being my guest. I really want to thank you for this because I know that this was kind of a weird one. Um, I just, I wanted, I, I really did want someone <laughs> who had some perspective that was different from mine, uh, maybe closer, maybe closer to Jade's to be my guest on this. But I really, really appreciate you sharing your your personal um, story and, and takes and opinions um, 
so freely uh, on the podcast. And I hope I know that the listeners will really, really appreciate uh, hearing them too. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. Before we go, I have to ask one more thing of you, which is will you tease the listeners for book 51, which will be the first episode of the next season of Sweet Valley Diaries? Of course. Okay. How did Ronnie Edwards suddenly become so rich? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 51, Against the Odds. (laughs) Who cares about Ronnie Edwards? (laughs) Nobody cares. Oh, man. When I love how it just so quickly switched. Like, all right, Jade's done. She danced. Mm -hmm. Who is Ronnie Edwards? (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, uh, gladiators, you know what to do. Uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Um, give me a five-star rating and maybe even a nice review on Apple Podcasts. But, like, more than anything, like, tell a friend. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries, which is my favorite place to kind of post things. I always post at least once a week. Sometimes I do pictures in my story of, like, where I am at the in the books. And uh, we're also on Twitter at Sweet Valley. If you want to see what I thought of this book when I first read it, uh, which I think I was, like sort of surprised that it wasn't worse (laughs) than it is. Um, You can read about that or any of my initial thoughts about the first 50 books at sweetvalleydiaries.net. But from here on out, it's all podcast, baby. (laughs) All podcast (laughs) recaps all the time. Um, We'll see you next week. Allison, thanks again. Thank you. Um, And at some point, I'm going to have to come up with a sign-off for this podcast. But for now, we'll just say bye. And then the Thursday after that will be the extra drama episode, I guess. So it's like Christmas Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas Eve and the New Year's Eve, I think, is when they're coming out. (laughs) Well, have a Merry Christmas. You too.